Hello, and welcome back to the Legends Podcast with me, Sarah Faruya of SF Creative and Sarah Faruya Coaching, where I am rising like a phoenix from the ashes after a one-year break to season seven, where our theme is legends of reinvention, stories of renaissance, and the phoenix rising from the fire. I believe there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories. So let's get into these creative musings from Sarah and her guests. Enjoy. Hello, this is the Sarah Furuya Creative creative musings show in between the guests on the legends podcast I record myself musing about something and this week I'm so lucky because I've just recorded the next guest that will release on the 21st of November I cannot wait to share this person with you and I'm going to try and talk about it today it's like a follow-up on the relationships conversation or the relationships musings that I had last time. So the last creative musings podcast was about me and my husband and 21 years together. And all the, I I think I gave a list of 23, I should have done 21, shouldn't I, to be on brand for the 21st anniversary of us being together. Um, But I sadly didn't have that absolutely genius thought in time for recording. But I um, I did do 23 uh, things that I felt kept our relationship together. He's working from home today, which is absolutely delightful. And when we are working from home together, we call each other Shacho when we approach because we like to pretend we're the, um, the presidents of each other's company. So fun. Anyway, um, so... On the back of that and the conversation before, which was my creative musings on uh, a year of sobriety. And then I had uh, on session two, um, not session two, episode two, I had my alcohol coach who is amazing. Oh, maybe I should introduce them to my next guest just because I think they vibe well together. Anywho, um, I wanted to pick out some stuff that my guest had said. So this is amazing. I'm able to kind of set up or talk about the upcoming episode without mentioning their names. I want to say I can see myself because I'm recording this on Zoom and I actually will be uh, uploading these to YouTube as well at some point. I am wearing a pair of earrings that I I never really wear out or anything like that. I'm really liking them. So I think this is good when I'm recording myself to kind of try out things that I don't really uh, wear very often. And also um, I can see in the background here, there's a lot going on here. It's a very, very, very active and full background. And I am loving that so very, very much. Okay. So the first thing that I want to talk about that my guest introduced to me I was asking them about their reinventions of course the theme is the reinvention renaissance and phoenix from the flames phoenix from the fire phoenix from the ashes I mean this person's had so many reinventions it's really fabulous oh my god I'm so excited for you to hear her or hear them is about relationship anarchy well 
that one really, really landed inside me in a really amazing way. So I say amazing a lot. It used to get on my nerves. I had a friend who said amazing a lot and it used to get on my nerves, but now I just like it. It's when you can get your head around it, it's just such a, it's, it's a nice little spice to throw into the, into the emotional field. So, um, relationship anarchy. Well, they were talking about their relationship with their former um, living partnership person and how they have continued to be together and work together and um, be each other's biggest fans. Um, that was a, a man and a woman together. And I just, it stopped me in my tracks. So this is a an act of of real deliberate doing relationships differently. So this person was raised in Australia. I was raised in the UK. We're both raised in largely heterosexual um, uh, community. So society, I should say. And yeah, so there's this kind of stereotype that relationships ought to be a fraught with... Um, difficulty and if you're not staying together if you break up it has to be this kind of quite dramatic hurtful um terrible thing and there's a lot of pain involved and the divorces are always messy and um breakups are always messy and all this kind of stuff and this is a kind of radical reinvention of relationships I think um and a radical renaissance of how to have relationships. It's not always available to everybody and it has to be very deliberately done. And I was thinking about how this applies to my relationship with my husband. So, and I was also thinking about the relationships around me and I was looking around and I was thinking about how other people have uncoupled. So they described it as uncoupling and there is actually a book, and um, we all mocked Gwyneth Paltrow when she and Chris Martin consciously uncoupled, but it's actually a really beautiful way to end anything, I think, a friendship or relationship, conscious uncoupling. And now I'm thinking about it. I'm just trying to think of who the author of that is. So I am, you know, oh, this is just, you know, broadcasting gold, isn't it? Conscious uncoupling. I'm Googling it as I'm on the on the podcast. Um, I met the one woman who wrote this. Her name is Catherine Woodward Thomas. I don't know how to say that. Woodward? Woodward. Woodard? Woodard? Woodward? Woodward? <laughs> Iwa Wuwa. Um, Catherine Woodward Thomas. I and if I remember rightly, spent a lot of time talking to her second husband that night. I'm sure it was her. And um, when I was in Los Angeles and I was at a party for um creatives and for thought leaders and so on. Um, which was a real, a real eye-opener. But I met the woman who wrote Conscious Uncoupling. And this is just a memory I'm sharing with you, ping-ponging around, letting my brain pinball around the stories because everybody has stories and I want to hear them and tell them. So um, she talked about Conscious Uncoupling. And I think if you can do that, it's a real treasure because um, 
it's if you can do that and remain friends I'm very lucky to be friends with one of my ex-boyfriends who I was with for about two years in the 1990s Keisuke knows him he stayed at our house in Tokyo we've had dinner together he stayed at my friend's house um, when he was over here as well we still message each other from time to time I wouldn't say that we consciously uncoupled. I met somebody else and then got together with them and was with that person for four years in the late 90s. But um, I think that, you know, our relationship would run its course and it was quite clear that we weren't going to be together forever. But we still really liked each other. I wouldn't call it conscious uncoupling especially, but I was very honest and upfront with him and told him what happened. And I was fine with that. He was, you know, obviously upset but we remained in touch and we remained friends and yeah as I say it didn't kind of uh we were able to continue because I would I would put this under relationship anarchy we were able to be anarchic about the way we continued our relationship and then I guess then that my next relationship was born out of relationship anarchy and that boyfriend who I did probably think I would probably be with forever um, he was, he was a great guy and I'm still in touch with him and he's just kind of popped back up into my life. We stay in touch, you know, our parents exchange, um, uh, not business cards. Oh my God. I just looked at somebody's business cards. So I've been in Japan for too long, exchange Christmas cards every year. And, um, I, you know, follow his family's footsteps and so on. He's a, he, you know, we remained really good friends. I'd say we, I didn't really consciously uncouple from him because I think I just got incredibly drunk. And then at 6am in the morning, just be it was at my own sayonara party in Birmingham before I left there, uh, just drunkenly said to him, I think we should go our separate ways when I leave for Japan. And um, I don't think I really meant it, but I didn't really know how to do it any other way. Um, and that was, I think that was just simply because I felt like I didn't know where that was going. I don't think either of us did. And I don't think we were really um, serving one another as well as we might at that time. Um, so I think that we had quite anarchic relationship. I don't, it was quite normal in the middle. You know, we were together. I was committed to him. Um, there was some hiccups and stuff. And if I had been relationship anarchic at the time, I think maybe I would have been able to handle some of the stranger aspects of our relationship more um, deliberately and more graciously and gracefully. I don't know if that's the right word. Anarchically, perhaps. And um, maybe I could have split better. But um, we went our separate ways. And as I say, when I was at home last year, clearing out my mum and dad's house of my staff when they moved house, I found a big chunk, a stack of photographs because we lived together for four years. So when we moved, we didn't know we would come back together. We wouldn't come back together. Um, so I just found loads of his stuff at my house, including loads of photographs of when he lived in Nepal and things. And so I just got in touch with him and said, do you want these? Because I, I will send them to you wherever you are. And so I must do that, actually. That's something on my to-do list the next time I go back to England is to send those things on to him. And I, I feel like this is where, where I'm going into relationship anarchy my other two boy long-term boyfriends that I had one I just I had a fantastically fun time with him and there was a lot of anarchy within that 
relationship. I wouldn't say anarchy, actually. I don't know if that was relationship anarchy. But, um, you know, we had a lot of fun at the time. And I learned loads from him about movies and music. And we would sing and play the guitar together. Um, it was It was really great. But also there was toxicity in there as well. And I wasn't having that. And so I quickly... Uh, moved on from that um, and my first boyfriend it just blew up so I was so awful and it blew up so badly that there was just nowhere for us to go I think about him often and it hurts my heart a little bit to think about him um, and I wish that I'd had more self-awareness around me because it just started off so beautifully and then unmet unhealed parts of me could not meet him where he was there's so many I would love to write a redo like a uh, a redo novel about what could have happened then I still don't think we would have stayed together because I think our life paths were taking very different uh, routes but I think I could have been better to him during that time so I've always made a commitment since then since I've really gone into my regrets about the way that I treated him about being a really devoted partner to the current partner I have so relationship anarchy. Um, so this, I think, is like um, queering relationships. So how would I say that works out between me and Keisuke? I would say that we are stereotyping our relationship when we are having a shit time. And we are queering our relationship when we're able to really just lean into the full essence of us. And for me at the moment, that means that my kind of, you know, um, how can I say it? feminist light ass is really leaning into the nurturing side and taking so much pleasure in looking after him and nourishing him and feeding him and being devoted to him and and just really making him feel amazing as much as I possibly can and um queering the relationship I don't just I think I mentioned in the previous one that, you know, I look to my brother's relationship with his husband very often to look for the cues that aren't influenced by um, heterosexual patriarchal norms, but are based just on simply on, um, well, on non-gender driven um, distribution of labor, of roles within the relationship, of how they um come together and make decisions and buy things and go away and do dinners and clean up and um, design their life together has been a really great thing. But I'm not just talking about that. When I talk about queering relationships, I mean doing them different than the heterosexual patriarchal way that us heterosexuals are supposed to do it. Now, I have to be honest, I've always felt very queer, but I'm not, uh, but I'm heterosexual uh, for the most part. And I think that I was talking to another female friend who's also uh, married to a man and we were having a long conversation and we were, uh, we were kind of talking about doing a podcast about how self-care is queer. And it has to be if you're a woman in a, in a, heterosexual relationship you have to reclaim a, a certain if queerness is the opposite of heterosexualness or patriarchy I don't know let's just call it that for 
for example. If any of this is pissing people off who's listening to this or upsetting them because that and they are in a marginalized group where these words are weapons, then do let me know. Or if I'm getting this, if I'm way off base, because this is my musings, um, this is creative musings from me, then please do let me know. But this is what I feel like I when I look around and I see um, some people are very happy in the heterosexual norms of a relationship. But when I see um, heterosexual relationships that are outside of the bell curve, I would I suggest that that's querying the relationship because without a shadow of doubt, one has to kind of look outside the heterosexual norms in order to take some kind of different anarchic approach to relationships. And that might mean that uh, the woman in the relationship is really, really in her in her masculine quite a lot, or that she's really in her feminine, or I don't even know what that means. Mask in their in her masculine, in her feminine. I need to just rewind on that. That's a this is a self coaching moment. Um, yeah, so a stereotyped so that they're very kind of strong and powerful, and they may be the person who goes to work or. Um, there's no reason why that shouldn't be the way it is, but it's not the norm. The bell curve has um, heterosexual norms baked into a lot of marriages. Um, so this kind of um, relationship anarchy where you can uncouple in a really, really uh, beautiful way. And so, you know, I asked this person, what what might that be? Um, and, and I was also talking about how me and another a female friend had been talking about how self-care is queer because in order for a woman in a heterosexual marriage to take care of herself she has to um she there's an awful lot to kind of bring yourself up to the zero point of the distribution of back-end work so housework and um um housework and the things that need to be done to maintain a household to maintain a car to maintain a house to maintain a daily uh, non-event life you know just the 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 minutiae of what one needs to take on the emotional load and how that's been delivered back to us in the usual norms of a relationship so in a relate an a relationship anarchy um, I guess that self-care is queer and you are queer in the relationship. And that's my my theory. And that's what I'm looking at now. I might also suggest that when I see a lot of people uh, in anarchic relationships, they may take on other people's kids, but not call them their stepchildren. Um, I've seen this a beautiful shift where people say, I have four kids or I have five kids. And you may not know whose is whose bio kid, if that makes sense, because they just, uh, you know, that's that's to me a relationship anarchy or late in life or complete devotion to one another. For me, I feel like for me and Keisuke, part of the anarchy comes from like, I'm taller than him, he's shorter than me. Um, I'm much more extroverted, he's much more introverted. In actually but there's ways that that role reversal because he's a social introvert and I need a lot of time on my own from him too. Um, and um, we have no kids. And I think that's quite a, an anarchic decision to make. If that decision's made for you, if it's forced upon you, that's terrible. I'm really, really sorry uh, if you're not able to have kids or if you have been refused. Um, what's it called now? 
IVF for whatever reason, or if it hasn't worked, or if you just desperately wanted to have children, but wanted to have them within a partnership and that partnership never transpired, or if you wanted to do it on your own, but it didn't happen. Um, I'm so sorry. That really, really sucks. Um, uh, but for, for me, uh, in my relationship, um, that felt like an anarchic choice. It is an anarchic choice not to do that. Um, yeah, it puts you at the margins. Um, but yeah, that's an anarchic choice. And 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 also, of course, we're in a bi, uh, biracial relationship as well, or a mixed relationship, mixed race relationship, or an international relationship, whatever you want to call it. And um, that requires a level of, and actually me and my next guest talk about this, because um, they actually know a lot about uh, Japan as well is that one has to span a cultural, you have to have a lot of cultural breadth, a lot of communication breadth. And that's something that in the last, only in the last few years, even having been together for 21 years, is it's something we navigate over and over and over again. We communicate in English. Um, and so I have to um, remember that. It's his second language always. And he's not a professor of linguistics. So it's a functional level. And so we have to find ways to communicate with each other in really different ways. And especially in the last year since I stopped drinking is my patience has become for that. Not patience because that sounds like he's going too slow and I'm being so patient. That's not how it is at all. And this is where the anarchy comes in for me is rather than being that kind of moaning person is that um, I now um, have looked at it that we meet each other where we are. And so it just takes a lot of different kind of pace or a different tone. Now then, here's another thing that we talked about, which was... Um, you know, how how were you able to open up this breadth for this kind of anarchic transition from the living partnership and um, from being married into being business partners, but also friend partners and, and so on? And they told me they have a deep care and understanding for one another and an absolute commitment for wanting the best for each other. And this is so radical. And I think I'm seeing this in some other relationships that have broken up who were in the marriage relationships or the living partnerships relationships, especially when kids are involved as well. I'm seeing some really interesting iterations of that, not just when people are separating, but also when people are staying together. And, you know, this would seem so scandalous to my mum and her friends and my mum and dad and their friends that like people can spend like half a year a year completely apart um because that's what the relationship needs at that time not a break they're still together together but especially if visas are involved or cross-country moves are involved it can be really there can be really big gaps or 
in Japan as well, it's quite not it's quite normal in a kind in the business aspect of a relationship for the the working uh, partner to go overseas or to a different city and for the other partner to stay with the family oftentimes that's the female partner who stays with the family and the male partner goes overseas but not exclusively and the rest of the family stays so that's you know i've watched um one friend doing that recently with such grace and such uh, commitment to the relationship still and navigating that and watching their lives change so radically, but being absolutely committed to one another still. It's really radical, I think. I'm really interested in that. And then I have some other people who I've been watching uncoupling very consciously and introducing other partners into the relationship very consciously and trying to create some kind of broader family broader relationship sense and and I watch with great great interest um for me <laughs> too many logistics um any kind of polyamory I'm not against on paper or morally or any of those things not those people are none of these people are engaging in polyamory to what to, to my knowledge that's I'm just talking from my own personal perspective. Too many logistics for me would be just mad. <laughs> and that's a very personal opinion and there's no judgment. I would love to be uh, engaging in some kind of wild, anarchic, uh, polyamory relationship where everything was, where the logistics emotionally, physically, um, straight for practically, um spiritually were all aligned and I could enjoy a relationship like that I wonder if I could but for me right now not that's not on the cards for Sarah Faruya right now because uh there's just too many logistics involved I like things as simple and straightforward as I possibly can have them because my life is full of so much complexity already living overseas being in a cross-cultural marriage people coming in and out of your life getting used to not drinking um, having ADHD, um, having a family who live in England, um, and just having a, a lot of a lot of things to juggle. Having to use Google Translate all the time, like all the time, every time a bill comes in or something like that. It's just it's a lot. So adding that in as well might be a bit much, but maybe I will, will question that, and maybe I'll allow myself to high dream that and see what comes through. <laughs> I definitely won't be discussing that with you. But anyway, so so there's that. So this is deep care and understanding. And what this person also talked about was tones of emotion, tones of emotion, tones. What a beautiful word. And I was put in mind then of something that we use in coaching and in psychology and in therapy, which is called the uh, emotions wheel or the feelings wheel. And I just found this really lovely one on the on the app Calm. Um, so I just want to give credit where credit's due there. And also it is originally the emotions wheel. There's loads and loads and loads of versions of this was originally conceived by Dr. Gloria Wilcox. And it's a lovely way to kind of process the emotions you're feeling or amplify them. So we'll often turn to something like this when we're not having the greatest time. But I think it's quite nice to turn to something like this as a um, 
as a as a way to amplify positive emotions as well. So I like this one. It's a car. It's on calm. They're calling it the feelings wheel. I'm just going to look at it in black and white first. So they mentioned tones of emotion and they mentioned, of course, um, there was tones of jealousy and tones of sadness and tones of all these things. And what I liked about that was I was imagining like a paler tone or a stronger tone. And I was also imagining that like, if I say, oh, I am jealous of the next guest, for example, then that might be, that feels like that's all of it. It's just one big tone. Like it's not, it's black or white. It's, it's, it's white. I've got white, hot jealousy, white jealousy, you know, or, you know, black might be like that much calmer, uh, total absence of jealousy. I'm not a jealous person, but then there are tones of that, of course. And this is what I loved. I love the idea that there's like a light gray, there's a dark gray, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's different tones of these emotions and the emotions wheel can be so useful in this because you can find your, um, you can play with all the different kinds of emotions. Usually there's kind of core emotions that are identified in the emotions wheel. This one is, and then you can see they've actually added tone to this. Um, and so I might be able to say to one of my clients, this this emotion that you're feeling, what is it? Let's let's uh, look at it. So we said jealous. So jealous is on the outside here, jealous. And then there's another. So I might say to the person like, okay, on a scale of, let's say, red to the lightest of pinks and the like the red of a bull, a red rag to a bull kind of red, how, what's the tone of your jealousy? Oh, and that takes you into such, uh, accesses such different parts of your brain than if I just said, how jealous are you? Or if I used a scale of one to 10, which also is, is, is really, really useful for us coaches or for anybody who's listening to this, what is the the scale of your jealousy? Um, and I, and some days I'm on a ten of jealousy, and so but now I can say it's red. Then I can get my paintbrush out and like and and do it and and paint words. I love painting words. This is painted. So and then the the core emotion that they've identified here for that is angry. Some emotions wheel actually takes anger as further out on the emotions wheel and the core emotion of that is sadness um i'm down with that why not i think people can play with these kinds of emotion wheels any way they like so i like this idea fury look at that jealousy furious uh betrayed disrespected there's so many and then that it's like let down humiliated you can give it shades tones you can shade and tone it. You could even, you know, God, I'm thinking of, I'm getting a workshop coming up now. I'm sure somebody somewhere's done this already, but you know, like just, just, you could just use these to make a, the most beautiful canvas. Wow. What a, what an amazing idea. So, um, so there's that. And I loved this, the tones of emotion. And if you, you know, so she, they mentioned jealousy and, you know, but what they said was in this, in their conscious separation from their living partnership was that jealousy didn't fracture the relationship. And I thought that was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. 
And then we talked also about their move. So they talked about this deeply creative and queer part of themselves. Uh, I feel that too. I feel that too. And um, I have to, you know, my invitation into the queer spaces is, is very open and often there. For some people, they don't want my my kind in their space, like really clear about that. But I often find that those people, um, after a bit of therapy, sort that out. Um, some people are very, very like Alaska Thunderfuck 5000, the drag queen. She's really clear that they like to have queer spaces stay queer uh, and gay spaces be gay and so on. And I really respect and honor that. I've been in and out of those spaces for as long as I've been going out clubbing and stuff like that. And this other person talks about that too. Um, and it's often the place where I feel most um, at home, but I also understand that I'm kind of outside uh, as well. So because I get to live my daily life as a, as a, a cis heterosexual lady, and I'm not saying that to sound cool or um, anything like that. I'm saying that because that's fact. <laughs> it's true. Um, but that's that's part of my um, it's just part of the of actually who I am. And so this person wanted to move back to one of the bigger cities with much more queer culture and culture. And this person said there's lots of parts of themselves. And that reminded me of parts work and uh, internal family systems and selves. In So um, I just wanted to quickly have a look at that as well. Have a little talk about that as well, because this is really, really interesting as well. So parts work um, came from internal family systems and it's it's a really great um modality and I really really enjoy it so parts work is a therapeutic lens that assumes that each of us has many different parts to our minds and psyches specifically this person was talking about how they separated like the clubber raver raver clubber person from them from the uh teacher persona and how those both those parts needed to be tended to the flow and the structure. So structure within flow is another thing that they talk about a lot. And I love that too. Oh, my God. I feel that so much when my structure collapses. It's just disastrous when I don't flow. Also disastrous or not just disastrous. It's not always disastrous. Actually, that's rather dramatic. It's difficult or it's less authentic, not less authentic. It, it just does it's not as easy and it's not as enjoyable and I think that's important to to note those are really really important things so um parts work and internal family systems come from drum roll please um parts work comes from <laughs> Oh, I can't remember who the author is right now. Anyway, I'm going to keep talking about this. So it's kind of like um, most people have heard of inner child work where you have to tend to an inner child, but there's loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of versions of that. There's loads of versions of ourselves. We're not, it tones, it's tonal as again, that need to be well looked after. 
Um, in terms of systems coaching, which is my area of um, study, is and qualification, one of them anyway, is uh, we we call it about selves and roles. So we have ex external roles, internal roles, uh, outer roles, inner roles, and then we get down into the selves that is borrowed from internal family systems and parts work. So um, this is really interesting to me. I, I love it. It's so, so interesting. And if you, you should not definitely not, wow, I'm losing my words now. You should not marginalize parts of yourself. So if I marginalize the structured kind of corporate professional, straightforward, get things done part of myself, then uh, it, it, it doesn't help me at all. And that part of myself might start to try and sabotage me. So I might become too rigid or overly structured. Um, it might overplay that part of myself or it might become too full on in, in that area. Whereas um, if I let the flowy part of myself, the kind of dreamy, flowy, magical part of myself um, be marginalized, then I might try to be too rebellious, overly rebellious because it's not integrated. And it's just all, it's so interesting. Uh, all this stuff is highly recommended and I just can't find in myself the name of uh, the person who did this. Oh my God, who started? I'm going to have to Google while I'm actually on this line with you. So uh, it's uh, IFS uh, author. <laughs> oh, God. Richard C. Schwartz. Schwartz. Okay. Yes, he's he's popping up all over the place at the moment. Um, anyway, you'll find lots and lots of this. And it, these people are uh, the real deal. So that's that's really interesting. So not marginalizing parts and they've just made another reinvention of themselves like I said moving back into a big city where there's a deeply creative and queer um, society there or community there that where the parts of her them that were not being satisfied in the other more provincial place they were living um, can be satisfied and that's really interesting, reminded me of something that a friend said to me uh, when I was over in Southeast Asia. Keep it nice and broad. I was in Southeast Asia and a friend just kind of, we were talking, um, they're also a coach, they're also a systems coach. And they just got really emotional and was like, you're too big. You're just too big. You're too big for this. And I didn't really know what they meant. I kind of get it. I think some I, and I was thinking about this in relation to the to to that person who I interviewed. Uh, my next guest on the twenty first of November will be released, and it's like it doesn't mean you're better than it really doesn't, but it it can mean. I mean, I find myself too big for a lot of spaces, too broad emotionally, too. I got called bossy recently. Bossy so old school. I mean, I'm 52 years old. I'm a grown ass woman. I can do whatever I want. I am the way I am, you know? Um, but I find that, that, that some people can't handle that amount of, they, it's, 
unless you learn how to open up a lot of space inside yourself, which is what I've had to do to allow the the breadth of the people that I know into my space. If you're not able to open up this incredible amount of space inside yourself and Kath, the um, first guest in episode two of season seven of reinvention, she opens up a lot of space for her clients, but also friends who are going through it as well. I kind of feel like that's one of the, the true joys of this work is being able to open up a lot of space for the hugeness of people. But sometimes physical locations are too um, small or restrictive or restricting for really people who live life at the edges or at the edge of bell curves or who have a really big inner life. Um, we are able to move through the bell curve because that's where we live most of our lives. But the edge part is really, really, you need your people. You need your people um, who can be with you and sit with you and who have my former coach, Catherine North, who incidentally, my guest used to be in a mini mastermind with 15 years ago, I want to say, uh, who both of them changed my life. And I'm not joking when I say that. And I talk about that a little bit in the uh, podcast, I think, um, is another thing she brought up was co-regulation. So we need people to co-regulate with. Co-regulate means that when you're spinning out or when something happens or when your nervous system is hijacked, how do we, how do you regulate that? Okay, so there's breathing exercises or, you know, the whatever. I, I, I'd love to know what all the, all the people who were doing it, who were posting photographs of themselves doing this, are they still doing it? I don't know. Um, getting into big, pots of iced water um or and learning how to regulate but she was talking about co-regulation now I, without knowing it i knew this because um for the coaching clients that i have who are on certain packages with me they get emergency sessions and the emergency sessions are for when they need to co-regulate, basically. So it literally is when you are being gripped in the fear of the next thing you have to do and you have been emotionally hijacked. Um, uh, yeah, you're in emotional hijack and you don't know what to do, that you actually need somebody else to co-regulate with. And what they do is they will text me, call me, and then we will regulate together. One of them ended up being two hours on the beach, but it turned into an extended coaching session. But some of them have been up to 15 minutes with me walking through a shopping mall going, do this, do this, do this. We don't usually tell people what to do in coaching, but um, when people need to co-regulate or, or when they're in emotional, in the emotional grip, when they're in a realm, they need help they need just immediate co-regulation and ability to regulate i believe okay so um that's what i do in emergency sessions and i just i'm really into this i'm really into this and I'm, I'm so glad i've got a name for it i've heard about co-regulation but sometimes it comes through in this kind of like super woo kind of like hey let's co-regulate with each other kind of stuff and you know that i love the magic and a little bit of woo but um this is just very straightforward. Like sometimes we need somebody to co-regulate. And yesterday 
and I do mention this, I had a, I, wrote, I put a Facebook post up saying I'd woken up feeling, and I was just dysregulated. My, my emotions were totally dysregulated. I don't know whether I'd had a dream or maybe the day before something had happened, which had, you know, thrown my nervous system off. I think that probably did happen. And all day, uh, and, and also my brain was just going way too fast. Like my brain was 10 steps ahead of anything that I could implement. And I just did bits and pieces here and there. I always get a lot done on those days, but it doesn't feel like it because it's all very fractured. But um, as soon as I got on the phone with Carolyn, who's the poet who runs the writing workshops that I host, I immediately felt relief. And when all the people came in to the to the space to do the workshop, we had, you know, seven lovely participants. Then I was totally regulated. And then I was able to go into my next coaching session, totally regulated. Um, even when I'm dysregulated, the minute I get into a coaching session, I don't even know if I'm using these words properly. I think I am. Um, then co-regulation means you know if something terrible happens to you you're able to go to another person and 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 regulate with them and and i think that this this seeking out of people who um have the same cultural queer breadth and understanding um and can hold all the 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 hugeness the bigness of a person um is uh is is really it's a wonderful discovery for me to have this language now and I, I obviously have this language through my psychology background but not front and center so this yeah co-regulation just felt so good and then being like oh that's why I do an emergency sessions <laughs> that's why when I ran my mastermind uh last year and the year before Every week we would come together. And I think that that was co-regulating as well. You know, we maybe come in with something and then leave with something else or the monthly calls that I had with everybody. So my learning for myself out of this is um, if you listen regularly or watch regularly uh, or watch my stuff regularly or read anything I've done regularly, um, I pulled away a lot this year. And now I'm missing that co-regulation that happens in a group, but I had to completely reinvent in order to rise again because I was it, that it wasn't the right place. And so now I see ah the poet enters the room and we co-regulate. Um, the clients enter the room and I regulate. The coaching client enters the room and I am able to co-regulate with them. Uh, bring that kind of lushness in. So, um, yeah, these were potent reminders for me. Last year, my word of the year was potent magic. And my guest brought in the idea of potent reminders. Yeah, potent reminders happen all the time. Potent reminders. Oh, I was sharing a story with them about something they'd done for me in like 2007 or eight or nine. Um, that had really, really touched me, but also practically um, helped me to adjust course. And they said that was a real potent reminder of the power of sharing with people and of loving on people. Um, 
I, I, I'm going to do one of these creative musings on generosity because it's one of the things that makes me feel so happy when I'm in my flow. But one of the things that I can feel very um, uh, sketchy about if I feel like I'm being taken advantage of or not, or that there's a lack, there's a absence of gratitude in the emotional field or, or even a kind of um, fight against it. And that has upset me so deeply that I just wanted to pull away from like that super generous part of myself. But we both realized that there was um, a, a potent reminder that sharing is such a, uh, I think that generosity is so um, deeply useful um i think my last guest nick i said he's incredibly generous with his stories incredibly generous with his voice incredibly generous with his time you know which is why we we recorded for almost two hours because of his just utter generosity with with what he's willing to share um so yeah having a structure and being able to flow within it, within this, with this generosity, that structure could be boundaries. That structure could be Google drive. <laughs> that structure could be whatever way that you love to tell your story, you know, whatever medium or whatever, you know, thing gets you going. One of the structures I have is my alarm goes off at the same time every day. Um, and another structure that I have is that the 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 garbage needs to be put out before 8.30 every day. So I'm never not up and about by 8.30. So that's a structure. And then I can flow within that. Oh, such a good conversation. So to recap today's ambling, creative musing and rambling, I was so struck by these uh, ideas. Relationship anarchy. How can you do your relationship in a way that both suits you and maybe um, goes against the relationship norms in a, in a way that's agreed upon and has deep care and understanding baked into it? Yeah, this is something I'm musing on so hard right now. Tones of emotion tones tones of emotion oh oh my god i haven't even gone into another one as well i'll have to do another another session about the void <laughs> the void which is interesting so i was just looking over at my latest painting and it is just white and so um and so i'm thinking about tones now so tones of emotions and how um you can avoid fracturing relationships or you can repair fractures or do, is it possible to to uncouple without fracturing the relationship beyond repair living partnership i love this i have a living partnership with mr keisuke furuya the chacho the boss downstairs co-regulating co-regulating and I must remember that sometimes I might need to co-regulate with somebody and who's that going to be um and yeah who is that going to be co-regulating do it with children all the time um structure and flow so flowing within structure or having structure within your flow and uh 
potent magic, looking out for potent reminders. Somebody today called in, can somebody recommend some wise woman input for us? And um, that was a potent reminder for me about generosity. So I just selected three books that I'm going to uh, lend to them and then see how that goes. And what deeply creative and queer parts of me require some kind of um, tending to? I think that, you know, I probably uh, seeing more art, connecting with friends. I've got a friend in from Australia at the moment I who coincidentally her daughter is here for a karate, uh, for a big karate show at the Budokan, the, the big sport, the martial arts hall. And just keep thinking about parts work and internal family systems and selves and uh, roles and so on. And how can I keep dreaming up my relationship? Um, and how can Kay and I keep dreaming up our relationship together? And how can I co-regulate with him? And how can we have structure and flow within our relationship and with my relationships? And I'm smiling so broadly now because I'm just thinking about my gorgeous people and I'm thinking about the things that are available to me and just who is arriving at my door. I'm going to see a friend next week. Actually, uh, another legend, one of the OG legends who was one of the video ones. You should really go and watch these because Kyle McCloskey, the video, uh, the filmmaker, the queer filmmaker, actually, who did my original videos with me, um, he uh, that that video Oh, they're so good. They're so, so good. Go back and have a look at them on YouTube. Legends, videos, it'll be under Sarah for a year anyway. And uh, I was look watching Maya and then Maya texted me and said, I've just been watching, I watched the video back yesterday and I was like, so did I. That's weird. That's potent magic, I think. And um, maybe it was because the Legends podcast has started again. I don't know. But um, I watched it. It was still brilliant. Still so much information in there and relationship anarchy in there too. go and have a listen. And so we're having dinner next week. And I would say she's somebody who I can co-create and co-regulate with and who's in a heterosexual relationship, but is is queering that relationship hard <laughs> in terms of, you know, having different locations that you live in and so on. I should probably do an update with her. She's really a, a, quite an amazing person. And um, yeah, so and, and then, yeah, the people who regulate me and how can I regulate with them and just embracing all of the largeness of me and other people and um you know it doesn't mean I get to stay with everybody but and I have my boundaries I have the structure in which I can flow but just watching out who's showing up who is showing up who's showing up so goodbye I enjoyed this creative musing. I hope you did too. It was a bit of a ramble. It was going to be about bodies, but I'll talk about bodies another time because I just felt like talking about this. So farewell. Thank you to Laura Marushima for her help with the back end and for getting this all together and for posting these uh, creative musings up and for helping me to name this. In fact, when I say helping her me to name this, I think she actually named it Creative Musings. And um, to anybody who's listening, let me know what you think. 
um, go give me a five star review on Apple because why not? Just do that. Maybe somebody can find this who needs to find it. If you've got anything interesting to say what about what I've just said, if you uh, find that some of the words or wording that I've said is incorrect, um, with the internal family systems and stuff like that, I just didn't have that on the tip of my tongue. That doesn't, it wasn't as accurate as it might have been. Or if you know other people, authors who need to be dropped down there, I don't like not attributing. Um, sometimes I don't, but simply that's just by omission, not because I think I should be able to use other people's IP without attributing them. Um, but, uh, or if there's words that feel like they might be weapons or damaging or upsetting for anybody, just let me know. And, uh, because I'm just really open, I can hold my, open myself up as I think I was halfway through saying Catherine North, the lovely coach, uh, based in Canada, they, um, call, say, uh, you're a cathedral. And you can open up a big cathedral inside you. So, thank you. Mm, so much love. I hope you're getting some regulation from this wild ramble. And I love you. Thank you so much for listening to these creative musings and stories of reinvention. And if it's Guests Week, big love and gratitude to our guests. Go follow them everywhere. Shout out to Laura Marashima for her podcast management and support. I would love if you would follow and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and share with a friend you think would love or benefit from it. You can also find me at Sarah Brewer Creative on Facebook and Instagram and get on my occasional, very occasional newsletter list at sarahbrewer.com. I just love that you're here and I'll catch you the next time on the Legends Podcast. Rise like a phoenix, baby. And don't forget to take other people with you. Bye.